Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. How can our lament glorify God? We are facing some incredible issues that were highlighted in this political campaign. And there was a variety of things that are challenging and difficult. There was issues that were raised that I kind of put in the human rights bucket about gender equality and and this conversation about law and order and the implications of what that means for communities that feel that the policing in our country needs to be reevaluated and how minority communities in particular are impacted. And, and there's this whole conversation about LGBTQ plus um, sexuality, human sexuality issues. There's all of these issues swirling around that we are trying to navigate through. There's, there's economic issues. There's issues about uh, affordable health care and, and caring for those that are sick and marginalized and those on the outskirts of getting basic human support. There's issue about uh, people being able to support themselves and support the generations coming behind them. There's, there's a lot of economic angst in the country right now and this continual divide between the very rich and everybody else continues to grow. And people are suffering in all parts of the country from all backgrounds. There's issues about foreign policy and a lot of that gets to immigration, which is really an economic issue. And, and, and how people see those people as the ones that are making things worse and, and our, our whole de, 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 uh, foreign policy on, on wars and are we the global police. And there's all of these issues that we are wrestling with and what's right and what's wrong and what should America do. And these are difficult issues that people of God will struggle with. And probably not all come to the same conclusion. And so this, 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 this is just fertile ground for division and tension and angst and discourse. But how do we be the people of God in the middle of this? And what are we lamenting? What are we, what are we protesting? I want to I state that I don't think the issue is Donald Trump. I, I don't think the person is the issue. I, I, I think we need to look broader than that. Now, I, I do think that there was something that happened in the course of this campaign that believers should be very concerned about. I think there was this, this value system, this, this way of looking at people and issues that, that did not represent the kingdom of God well. And, and in the course of the campaign, it became normalized and, and legitimized and even promoted to a degree as this is what it means for America to be great again. We had issues that, that, that have risen about uh, racist uh, ideologies. We, we, have, 
we have this conversation and this kind of promotion that, that misogynistic viewpoints are acceptable in this world. We have this undercurrent of resentment and anger for people that have been forced to do without and, 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 and continually pressed upon while other people seem to be doing better and better and the, and the poor masses are just crushed and, and, and manipulated and, and pressed down and there's resentment and anger about that. And there's this, this feeling that, that the foreigner, that the immigrant, that, that those people that are different are the cause of my problems. When the Bible seems to say that the alien is welcome in God's house. There are these issues that have bubbled up, not because of the man, but it, is, it has taken the veil off of these issues that we would have liked to have think were gone, that we would may have preferred not to deal with. And guess what? They were here last Sunday. They're here this Sunday. They're going to be here next Sunday. And how do we respond to these issues, to these viewpoints that I think are against the kingdom of God and grieve God's heart. And that's what he's lamenting about. That there is, there is a system that seems to disenfranchise and manipulate and treat unjustly people in this world. And God cares about them. And he wants his church to care about them. There is a lot to process in this. And I think that it's valid for people of God to lament the fact that things that we thought may have been much more isolated in this country may be much more alive than we realized. But praise God that he took the veil off. So that we can now live with reality. That we can now see what it is that we're supposed to be dealing with. And how we can be the people of God in this environment. But I, 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 I want to point out that there was, out of all the things in the election, all the things that came up, all the stats and all the demographics that reported, there, there was one stat that was far more troubling me than anything else that I came across. And it was the statistic that 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Now, why is that an issue? Again, it's not about the person. It's not about the party. It's not about the policy. The issue that I would raise that I think is an issue within the body of Christ is that if these values have in any way been legitimized or normalized as a, as a result of this process of getting to a presidential uh, outcome, if this is promoted as the value system that we want to encourage and be part of, I think it is troubling that people of God did not have those issues register enough that they found that the person who represented or was promoting some of this stuff, that those issues didn't overweigh the issues that they ended up supporting him for. In the body of Christ, I'm not talking about the world. 
I know what the world is going to do. I'm talking about the body of Christ, about those who say we are submitted to the authority and headship of Jesus Christ. How do we see the world and respond in it? And if you go back, I've been talking about this for a few weeks. I'm talking about a worldview. How do we see the world and how does that frame how we interact with it? And I made the case that in America, the center of American worldview is money. The center of American worldview is money and power and the comfort that that allows me to acquire. And so here is, here, here is the problem, that we have been so caught up in the world system as believers that you can't distinguish the mindset of followers of Christ from those who have a different agenda and a different basis from which they work. And by the way, this isn't a white accusation. This is not about race. It's not about gender. It's about the people of God having a kingdom worldview, a biblical worldview that we allow our convictions to flow from the word of God and the truth of God, not our own economic position. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. That requires that my value system is shaped by the things that God cares about. It requires me to make sacrifices of my own personal resources and material wealth and priorities that I may fully live into the priorities of the kingdom. And what I think is the failure in this system for the church is that it's hard for me to see that our brothers and sisters who are so far away, maybe removed from these issues, did not have enough empathy for those communities in their body, in the body of Christ to say something about these issues is compelling enough that my brother, for who I am their keeper, is hurting. I think it's an indictment on the state of the church in America. I think it's a crisis for the unity that God wants in the body of Christ. And somewhere in this process, I'm not talking about what the world is doing. I'm asking what the body of Christ is doing. Now, let, let, me, let me throw a nugget in here while I'm, while I'm trying to explain this. <laughs> I think we need to be very careful, again, I'm gonna say it again, about demonizing people who voted for one candidate or another. I'm, I'm really, really against that. I think people vote just like everybody does out of their own center. Here's a stat you may not have known. In the last 20 years, which demographic has seen the largest decrease in wealth and income and earning in this country? White males. Primarily above 50. I'm not saying they are the poorest as an overall demographic. I'm saying the statistics show their income has decreased at a rate greater than any other demographic in the country. And that means that there are people in this country who are living in poverty, who are living in horrible places. Matter of fact, I hear the water is poison half the time. There are issues in this country. And the question that I'm raising is, do we care about those other people's issues as much as we care about our issues because what can happen in this and what this turns into is a is a view of nationalism 
Whichever nationalism you like, black nationalism, white nationalism, polka dot people nationalism, we can form an orientation that grounds our centers and priorities by my own ethnic or socioeconomic or whatever other thing that I'm forming my center of other than the word of God and the kingdom of God. And that, my friends, is sin. Plain and simple, it's sin. When we develop a system of priorities apart from anything from the word of God, we are living apart from the will of God. Let let me give you a scripture. And and where I'm going with this is that we have this time for lament, but in the middle of the situation, I think God calls his church to have a time of being light. I was talking to another pastor friend of mine who who gave me the same scripture that had been in the back of my mind. He's, He's preaching it this morning in his church. Let me give it to you. Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us and fought the fight of faith, let us throw off everything else that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. See, here's the image. Sin entangles us. Sin gets a hold of us and tries to rewire our minds and our thinking. It tries to give us a value system that is so interwoven in with the world that we can't distinguish God's values from world values. And we can align ourselves with all kinds of systems and parties and policies that are not really reflecting our convictions in the kingdom. Those become secondary to the world system that has entangled our way of thinking. Keep going. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I asked this question, and it was a hard day in the voting booth, no matter which way you went. But I'm asking the same question, not what did you do, how did you get there? Did we wrestle with the scripture? Did we have in mind the things of the kingdom? Am I voting? Am I acting? Am I responding from the best place I know how, given the conviction that I have from the word of God and the leading of the spirit? Or am I just checking boxes because somebody 20 years ago told me this is the way I should vote? He says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Christ has to be the one upon whom I'm focusing. Christ has to be the center of whom I'm flowing, my decisions and my convictions flow out of. And I think the church has lost that. I think we're living from a whole bunch of other influences other than the word of God. And we've compromised. He goes on to say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. This is not the first time Christians have not been pleased with the political outcome. This is nothing new. We are not enduring some amazing suffering. Matter of fact, If you go back far enough, we'd be set on fire right now for sitting in this room talking about Jesus. It can be worse than it is. And so whatever battles, whatever issues we have in front of us, God is saying in this time, I have placed you here to fight the fight of faith, to persevere, to stay focused on the kingdom, stay focused on the example of Jesus and fight the fight of faith. 
He ends this section, says, so that you consider him, stay fixed on Jesus, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There is a time for lament. There is a time for realizing that we have been knocked down and our convictions are undermined. But that is not where we can stay, people of God. We have a mission for which God has placed us in this world for such a time as this. And we can't grow weary of fighting the good fight of faith. If we are concerned, if we are upset, if we are dismayed by a value system that's rising up that doesn't fit the kingdom, then that means roll up the sleeves. It's time to go to work. And don't be upset that the world hates you. (laughs) Don't be upset or amazed that the world isn't going along with Jesus. Don't be surprised that you're in the minority and in the opposition because the world is against God's kingdom values. Jesus tried to tell us, don't be surprised. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You got tough times coming. Persevere. You've got struggles facing you. Hold fast to my word. When the enemy comes against you, cling to me and I will give you the words to speak. But don't grow weary and don't lose heart. Fight the good fight of faith and I will be with you until the very end of the age. It's time for us to be light. It's time for us to show the world a witness to the kingdom. I think this is prime time with the world as divided as it is with people as far apart maybe as they've been in this country in decades. What does it look like for the church of God to show love and mercy and grace and hope and reconciliation to a world that's tearing itself apart? What kind of witness to the glory of God would we be if we can figure out how to pull that off? And I think we've each got our own way. Some of them are big, some of them are small. But I think we've got to start having conversations with the people that you work with, the people in your neighborhood, particularly the brothers and sisters. Some of the first people I called when I was thinking about how to respond was some of my brothers and sisters in the body who I have a different context and background from. We can't circle the wagons and have our own little, there's, there's, no, there's, no, uh, there's no clusters in heaven. <laughs> there's no caucuses. <laughs> there's no ghettos. <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? There's one heaven. And all God's children are in there together. And we got to figure out how to strengthen each other how to sharpen one another, how to encourage one another, how to open one another's eyes, how to reason together that we may glorify God in this time that he's given us. A time for lament, a time for light. The last one I want to give you is a time for love. A time for love. One of the scriptures that often comes up in Christian circles around election time is Romans chapter 13, particularly verse number one, which says, submit to the authorities. Um, 
I, I think that's true. It's in the Bible. The only thing I want us to do is I want us to think about it in the context in which it was said. Because I think there's this discourse that Paul is trying to help us to see to how to live out this kingdom mandate to be people of God that starts for me in Romans chapter 12, verse number one, my favorite scripture. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to know and test what God's good and perfect will is. He's talking about a transformation for us being kingdom-minded people. And then he goes on to talk to us about how to live that out. And part of that living that out is how we interact with the government systems that we are living under. And he says, be submissive to Uh, the government because God is over the government. God is in control. God is sovereign over this world and this country and even this election. God is still sovereign. And so when I look at people's response to this election and I see the protest, I wonder what what are we protesting? And again, I'm talking to believers. I, I know the world is doing whatever they do. And I'm talking about people who call themselves followers of Christ. What are we protesting? I personally think it is an amazing blessing that we live in a country that has set up a system for a peaceful transfer of power from one, uh, one year to the next. I think that's an amazing blessing. I also think it's an amazing blessing and privilege that I can even go out and protest against things that I don't agree with without getting shot in the street as soon as I go outside my house. I think it's a, it's a blessing from God that we have a system that allows us to do that. And so what I think it means to be submissive to government is I think that no matter what we're doing to, to stand for uh, oppressed and and, um, unjust laws and and unfair practices, I think no matter what that means that we're going to do, we have to do it in a way that honors God. Somehow, I can't take 48 hours off. God, I'm really mad about what happened. I'm about to go act a fool. I'll be back in 48 hours. (laughs) I don't think that's what he says. I don't think he gives us that permission. And no matter how I'm responding, I have to be glorifying the God that I say my life is submitted to. And so I think that there is absolutely the need to to make a stand against whatever policies or laws or things that don't represent the kingdom value to you. But we got to do it in a way that doesn't make us an agent of the things that we say that we're fighting against. See, because I can get caught up in the same cycle. And even though I think I'm, I'm, I'm fighting for the right thing, I'm fighting in the wrong way. And I become just as much of an agent of evil and sinfulness in the way that I'm acting it out because I've abandoned my God-based framework for how I'm going to live this out. And so I think that some of the things that, that we can be moved to do to respond in this way that don't respond in a way that God will be pleased by, I think that's what he's saying. Hey, respond. But represent me when you do it. But then he goes on because I think the way that this scripture is often used is, well, God put him there. Deal with it. 
Just let it go. Write it out. God's over the kings and he's over the presidents and he's over the authorities. Just let it play out however it wants to. I don't believe that that's what God is telling us to do. And I think God doesn't want us to sit on the sidelines with our arms folded because we have the luxury to do so. I'm reminded of one of my favorite writings, Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And I've mentioned this several times. I don't know how many of you have taken the time to download it and read it. Please do. It's amazing. It's amazing. But I want to pull out this one excerpt that I think is relevant for this context is because he's in the middle of sitting in a jail cell for protesting against injustices in the country. And he's being accused by brothers and sisters in the faith that he should just calm down and wait for a better time. Just just let things work themselves out. You're pushing too hard. You're too demanding. You're, You're too much in people's faces. If you would just settle down, it'll work itself out. I'm not sure if I believe that that would ever happen, and I know Dr. King certainly didn't think it was gonna happen. And he writes this letter back to these fellow clergy. And the excerpt I want us to see is he saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it, that the most frustrating thing is not the opinions or the actions of the radical hate monger, the bigot, the racist, the Ku Klux Klan. That's not the problem. The problem is the silence of the majority masses who sit on the side and refuse to engage and refuse to speak up because they have a comfortable distance from the suffering and allow the systems of oppression to go on unchecked. That's the greatest problem in the country. And I think that's still true today. But again, that's an indictment on all of us. It's not a black or white issue. Because honestly, For many of us in this room, we benefit from the systems of other people's sufferings. It's too easy for us to sit back and enjoy our lives and maintain our jobs and put our kids through college and live on the benefit of a system that is literally sending thousands of people to their death from poor medical care to poor education to systems and and, and structures that that encourage violence in isolated communities. And we can sit back and say, wow, I hope it gets better for him one day. And God says he wants us to be loving and caring and shining light and working for the kingdom values for people that we may not be that close to. And he goes on in this Romans 13, he says, he's talking about the commandments and he's talking about how we interpret the law. And it says, you know the law, Uh, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. But whatever other commands there are, they may be summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. See, it comes back to that. And this is the point I want us to end on. No matter how happy or distraught you are about the election results. No matter if you think the country is going the right way or the wrong way, no matter how we process that, we cannot get around the commandment of God that we are to love one another 
as we love ourselves and love God above everything. We're not going to get out of this love command. There is nothing that I will ever say or endorse that, that gives us a pass on loving people the way God calls us, calls us to love people. And our neighbor means even the people that we don't agree with, that voted the other way, that we don't like, that we think are wrong, even the people that we call our enemies. That's who our neighbor is. And the mandate of God is to love them. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Now, I know that's not what some of us came to church to hear today. I know that's not the word that we wanted. We wanted to hear that God's on our side and we're going to get him back and we're going to rise again or whatever it is we was thinking. Revolution will not be televised. (laughs) But I think God wants his church and his body to be great in a time when the country is broken and hurting. And he gave us this great commandment and he gave us this great commission. And upon these two things, Everything that we do has to be built. It didn't change since last week. God hasn't rearranged his priorities. We are to be the people of God for the glory of God every day of our lives. I want to leave you with the great commission. This is what was the text for today. And I want to frame all that I've said in light of this great commission. We we got the great commandment. Here's the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's start with that. I'm still in charge. Whoever got elected, I'm still in charge. Whoever's making policy, I have authority. All authority is under Jesus Christ. And since he has authority, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, the the, the ground is fertile right now. For us to be making disciples, those who can understand the glory and the power and the righteousness and the truth of our God. I think our crisis isn't a political crisis. It's a kingdom crisis. It's a sin crisis. It's a rebellion against God crisis. What we need to do is to go be making disciples, one conversation, one interaction, one relationship at a time so that we can be salt and light in a broken, hurting world. And you know what we may have just found out? That the government isn't going to do what God called the church to do. That we can't elect in somebody who's going to take away the responsibility of us to care for the poor, to care for the marginalized, to care for those who don't have a voice, to care about these great moral issues about life and death, to care about those who have no ability to fight against the systems that are oppressing them. He called us to be that voice. 
not to elect it, not to try to vote it in, not to put it on somebody else. He said, I put my church here to do the work that I started. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them everything I have commanded you. We gotta teach. We gotta teach each other. We gotta sharpen each other. We gotta equip each other so that we can then go out into a broken and hurting world and let them know about the truth and power of a God who loves them more than they even know or imagine who cares for those who feel like God has abandoned them, whose whole life is a lament because they don't know about the provision of their God. And when you get worn out and when you get tired and when you feel like giving up and when you get discouraged and you feel like it's not doing any good and you feel like time is going backwards, remember Jesus is with you until the very end of the age. He didn't take a day off. He didn't forget. He didn't lose track. He is working and he's using you to accomplish his good work. People, we got to roll up our sleeves. We got kingdom work to do. Amen. 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 The quote I gave us to start this series. It's time for us to be great. Great believers. Great people of the book. Great lovers of God's word. Great witnesses to the one and true God. Greatly committed to the work of the kingdom. And the quote I want to leave us with that I pray is the heart for this church as we navigate how to respond, it says a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. I don't know where you are in processing this. I don't know what you're dealing with, but I promise you, God has not changed his mind on how he's going to bring this broken world back to himself. We are plan A, B, and C. God uses us for his glory to bring a broken world back to himself. Time to get busy. Amen. 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 Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, I'm just grateful that you have given us your word. I pray that as we are processing this as a family, God, that you show us how to love one another, how to care for one another, how to be gracious to one another, how to encourage one another. Father, help us to see you in our conversations, in our responses to injustice in this world and our attempt to Father let your truth be manifested in our lives and even in our laws and in our system God show us 
how to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We want to be used by you for your glory. Show us how to join that great cloud of witnesses that has proclaimed the name of Jesus. That we may do our work and that you may be glorified in our lives. I pray, this th- I pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless your family. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church, located at 47385 Warm Springs Boulevard, Fremont, California. We can be found on the web at www.sobcc.org. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to come and join us in person for one of our dynamic Sunday morning worship services. Services begin at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. each Sunday, and we would be so blessed to have you come worship with us. We'd also love to hear from you a word about how this ministry is helping you renew your mind for the glory of Jesus Christ. So please contact us, and we pray God's blessings over you the rest of this day. God bless.